Welcome to another episode of Living the Beam, another podcast from the King's Herald. I'm Greg Wissinger, your host, and joined today by my co-host, as always, Jill Adge. Jill, how are you doing? Just peachy. And TJ Macias. TJ, how are you doing? Ah, uh, just well. I don't say peachy. <laughs> you just did. Everyone's feeling good with how the King season is going, right? I mean, all the ups and downs and, and everything. So we'll jump into all that here in just a minute. But uh, someone did point out that on our first episode of this new show, we didn't do any sort of introduction of ourselves or our backgrounds or anything like that. So we're just going to run through that real fast. And then we'll jump into the joy that has been the past couple of weeks of King's basketball. Uh, so again, I'm Greg. I'm the managing editor of the King's Herald. I've been covering the Kings since around 2013 or so. No, 2009. 2009 is when I started. And yeah, so I've been through all the bad years and one good year. And it looks like we're in store for maybe another mixed bag. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that, though. But Jill, let's start with you. What, what was your background? Kind of what led you to getting here today? Well, the Kings came to town the year I was born. So it was destined, right? It was it was meant to be. Uh, my parents were longtime season ticket holders. So I grew up going to games. And Tony actually had me on as a guest host uh, years ago when he was doing the other podcast at the time. And that kind of got my um, toes wet, so to speak, in, in the podcast world. And then during COVID, I was on a podcast with Damien. And then um, I've just done others along the way. So now this is the newest adventure and I'm excited to be here with you guys. And TJ, how about you? All right. This is this is going to be fun. Um, background, born and raised in SAC. Um, just basically like everyone else, it was our only pro sports team in the city. And we were ra- I was raised just, you know, watching the Kings game with my parents. And I got into writing. Uh, when I was very little, but I went a completely different way than sports writing. I became a script doctor at 14, said, fuck college, went to L.A., did the whole Hollywood bullshit for a bit, and then came back and I got, I had moved to Dallas and got into sports writing. And so I covered the the Dallas Mavericks and the Texas Rangers for about 10 years and uh, I became, of course, like everyone else, following everybody on Twitter. This is like how I found my King's family from afar. And I became friends with uh, Brad Geyser, who had told me that there were no women writing for Sacktown Royalty. It was just a sausage fest. And so I immediately went to Greg, who I had known just based on Twitter. And I said, fuck you, I'm writing for you now. And, you know, and here we are. Now I'm a national sports writer for McClatchy, uh, the publishing company that owns the Sacramento Bee and the Miami Herald and all that. So I kind of ended up doing this professionally for a living. And I am so sorry for that. It's a very different recollection than I have of how you came about <laughs> writing for us, but that, that's fine. <laughs> now I want to hear it. I have to hear it. I, I don't remember it being fuck you, I'm writing for you. I remember it was, it was- basically just, look at it. I am now writing for you and I threw an article at you. I remember it was the one, my first one 
was with on Harrison Barnes because we had just got him. And of course, you made fun of me because you claimed I only wrote about uh, former Mavs players <laughs> in for Kings, which isn't really too far from the truth. I was going to say, I think that's one of five articles you've written. You know? okay. <laughs> I every years, we have that agreement. And now I'm doing a podcast with you. So you're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, I will say with all the good and bad of Twitter, like that was definitely the meeting space where I, I was able to connect with everybody. So um, yeah. the, the pros of social media there for sure. Well, with the introductions out of the way and and a little bit more insight into the the loving relationship between me and TJ, uh, let's talk about our poor Sacramento Kings. Who, you know, right now we're recording this Tuesday night. They're sitting at a record of two and four, thirteenth in the Western Conference, last place in the Pacific Division, having just lost two back to back ugly, ugly games to the Houston Rockets. So, I want to open up to the two of you. How much are you afraid that the sky is falling? Kind of what is your read on the situation right now? How are you feeling overall? I'll start because Jill has a more professional answer. I'm really positive of this. So, um, yeah, I'm not, oddly enough, I'm not freaked out that the sky is falling because we have been here before. We went through it uh, at the beginning of last season. Wasn't that our only? like four game losing streak was right at the beginning of the season. And, you know, look how well we came out of it. Well, as well as possible. I mean, we got to the playoffs. So I'm for once, I am not too negative, even though I vomited like three times watching that tire fire, especially the last game. I'm not telling you I changed it to the crown, uh, but I'm not telling you that I didn't. The crown is still about kings, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> Nothing to do with the monarchy. No. And Jill, how about you? I said this in a tweet, I don't know, maybe like 10 to 10 minutes or so ago, but we're going into game seven, right? Game seven last year was the Orlando game. If you listen to any of the interviews from last year, a bunch of the players said the Orlando game was their they felt like that was their turning point, their get right game. Like that was the game that the things turned that first half of that game was horrible. They were down big at halftime. They came together as a group. Fox hit the buzzer beater. They said they was like, holy crap. They looked at Fox in a different light. Like, you know, he's the guy we're taking the reins. And that was the, the point of their, the turning point of the season. They felt like where they really started clicking and getting things right. Morrow. It's game seven against the Blazers. No Fox, but in a time of need, right? This it, this needs to be, you know, your change the narrative, get right game for a lot of these players. I mean, it's, you know, this was the, the scenario that the national media warned people about over the summer. You know, if Fo- a Fox or a Sabonis goes down, how's your team going to handle it? You, you know, you had to handle it for a handful of games last year. And, you know, it was I think it was like 500. It was iffy, iffy, like some games were actually good. Other games, they got blown out like it wasn't always pretty. I know people want to say, oh, they ended up 500 last year without Fox. Yeah, but some of those games were blowouts like the ones we saw, you know, um, 
this last weekend. And it took, what, that 18-point comeback against Cleveland in the fourth quarter so that that game wasn't a blowout. So, again, like, it's not like it was roses and, you know, but they figured it out, right? And I think it was so long ago that it's not fresh in our mind where this was so glaring and fresh. And more so that some of the players just, like, looked like they had lead in their feet, like that they were you know, cement and stuck to the ground. I mean, I don't think I've in a long time that I've seen Sabonis take the ball up the court and is like yelling at Harrison Barnes, like with 15 seconds left on the clock to move. And he's kind of looking around and then Sabonis dribbles to the whole other side, a half of the court to Monk because he's the only one moving. Like, I don't just remember seeing that last year where it's like, and I don't think that, Brown and Triano were telling these guys to stand still based on how Sabonis was yelling at them to actually, you know, physically move. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. So I'm hoping game seven, you know, this is that, that turnaround game. And, you know, we'll talk later, I'm sure. And I'll, um, I'll give you kind of where the lineups at and what they were last year, because as bad as they are right now in the numbers that I will present, they made it work also last year, too. Like, the numbers of some of these lineups weren't that. But granted, it's a whole new season. You're not always going to get the same results. And that's the hardest part in the NBA if you're not a team full of all-stars, right? Like, yes, you had two, but one is gone. And the other one plays a lot better when they has the other all-star on the court based on how that man plays. So... You know, and right now we're seeing defenses just stick three to four guys in the paint and making you shoot, you know, out of it. And so far, the Kings aren't hitting their twos and they're not hitting their three. So um, this is where it becomes on uh, Brown and, you know, Jordy and Triano and the players to dig deep and figure out who they're going to be this season compared to last yeah, and and as you mentioned, you know the Kings have been without Deer and Fox for the last couple of games. The Kings were two and one with Fox. Fox hurts his ankle, and they've gone zero and three. You know, at this time last year, well, maybe not to the day, but the Kings started two and four last year as well. But it started off zero and four, and then they won two, and then you know lost one, won one. I mean, they they like you said, they hadn't really found their footing at this point in the year last year. The last year they were full strength. <laughs> like this year, there's a much more obvious reason why this is happening. That yeah, Darren Fox, the the best player on the team, or or you know, depending on where you rank him, Sabonis, one of the two best players on the team, isn't there. And they have struggled to kind of fill that role. And you know, we'll we'll kind of dig deep into some of those specifics here as we go along. But yeah, you mentioned kind of the the criticism of the Kings and you know, the well, if you lose one of your stars, what are you gonna do? It's like, well. Phoenix is in the same boat right now. They're already losing games to their stars. They're three and four. The Lakers are three and four, and they haven't lost any time to stars. Like a lot of these teams are off to a slow start. It, it's always kind of weird. Memphis, right? They're out like three or four. Some teams have yeah. it worse, right? And last year they were able to stay afloat because they had Tyce Jones, right? Who was able to mm-hmm. slot in and knew the system, had played with these guys for a couple seasons. So it wasn't, you know, it was pretty seamless transition into that because Jod's been out with injuries, you know, and other things. So that wasn't a total shock. But you're seeing it now with them where 
Tyce Jones isn't there and Marcus Smart's having to fill in and there's no Derrick Rose and there's no Brandon Clark. And I mean, it's one after another. Like you look at their injury report and it's six or seven players almost every single time. So yes, we have two players. One happens to be really important, but again, like no one's going to feel sorry for you. This is the NBA. At some point, everyone's dealing with this. So it's it's on you to figure it out. The other thing I think is worth noting is that, you know, going into the season, one of the things that we expected would help the Kings was the continuity. Well, Fox's injury and Lyle's being out has really thrown off that continuity. We've seen heavy minutes from Duarte, Sasha, Colby Jones, like new pieces are getting JaVale McGee. You know, we're seeing a lot of minutes from guys who weren't there, which we didn't fully expect going into the year. And even someone like Davion, who we'll get to in a minute, you know, he's in a much different role the last couple of games than what he's used to. So that that continuity that we were relying on also hasn't really been there. Yeah. And even to the extent Keegan Murray, his role of last year, it's not the same as this year. So like they can talk about continuity, but you're also putting in guys who were here last year in new roles. Last year, Keegan wasn't guarding teams number ones. He's guarding teams number one, especially with Fox out, right? Like even more so now um, you're seeing him take on or that, you know, being asked to take on this thing. Um, And could that be affecting his offense? I really don't. Maybe could be that a factor, his thumb. It could be all of it together. No Fox just being, um, you know, they're asking him to play offense a little bit differently, too. So the continuity of that isn't there. Um, But even a Harrison Barnes who's been here forever, like to me, that's one of the biggest things. He's not even being asked to guard the ones anymore. And that was the big thing right before is it was he was our defender, good or bad, like he was the one guarding those guys. He's not even being asked to do that. So it's like, why are you gassed? Like, what? there's no reason why you should be getting blown by as bad as you are or, you know, look like your feet are stuck in quicksand, like why you can't move. I mean, I know there's an age factor, but he's not that old, you know, in today's terms of NBA standards where players are playing well beyond, you know, um, I think what is 32, 31, 32. That it to me it was not as noticeable this year as it was like last year it was not it Harrison Barnes didn't look like this to me last year um, where I'm just seeing him get blown by by regardless of who's in front of him it's not even close do you think he would benefit more if he was like it it just goes back to the bench he goes back to the bench Barnes yeah I think that would be your dream scenario like if you could use other pieces to make a trade and have a Barnes come off the bench, I think he would be perfectly fine there. Yeah, that's what I think. It, uh, it's just, it, yeah, can you find other contracts to use at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, out of all, he really does show his age and he has been showing it, you know, since like after opening night, it just, you can, it, it's like, it's taking its toll on him. And God, the quicksand comment just really got to yes. me. But, but he's not even putting up the field goal attempts, right? Yeah, like it's something exactly. on defense, but it's like he's not even sh- like he's not even putting up the shots or doing the what we're, you know, what we've known as take it to the basket, get a bucket, hit a quick two. Like we're not seeing that at all. It's check up a three. Now, one thing I do think is worth noting is that Harrison Barnes also had a really slow start last season and ended up fine. But, you know, the first week or two of games, we were all kind of in panic about Harrison Barnes, like, oh, did Monty wait too long to 
unload him. And then he found his footing. And I mean, Harrison Barnes just kind of does this, right? Like he has these good stretches and these bad stretches and, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows and he disappears right when you really don't need him to. <laughs> it's even more glaring without Fox, right? Like I was looking at box scores last year with Fox out and he was taking 10 to 12 shots a game with with Fox out. Like we're not getting that this time. Um, so to me, that was a big difference of like the rebounds still weren't there. Right. But at least the field goal attempts um, were there and he was having one game. He had three points, but the rest were 15, 20, 22. Like he was scoring and also kept us in some of those games. Right now, it's like we're getting the zeros across the board. Who was the player that had the zeros across that everyone? Tony Snell. When you get. There you go. He's getting he's almost getting the Tony Snell um, stats in, you know, 22 minutes. So and and what hurts is, again, we talked about this, you know, there was no addition of wings except, you know, normally maybe you could put in a Trey Lyles. But again, he's not there to grab. Um, Sasha's still getting acclimated. So it's not like you can replace Barnes with him yet. Um Kessler, right, who's at the end of the bench right now, maybe you could put, you know, throw him in, but he's not going to give you that offensively. Maybe defensively it'll be better, but it's like you still don't have that perfect replacement that, you know, we were we were all talking about and hoping at getting, whether it be a young guy or an older one. We we still just haven't seen that that small forward, power forward, slack, you know, combo that where you could throw in there the times of need like that. Kind of piggybacking off of, you know, kind of the discussion around Barnes. I think the other big disappointment that we obviously got to talk about is Davion Mitchell. Uh, he had a, a big opportunity, young player who has always seemed like he views himself as more than a backup. And he's come in the last three games as the starter and really struggled. Uh, is there anything that really stood out about the way he's played or the, the things he has or hasn't done? that stood out in these last couple of games. TJ, let's start with you. That's like things that he's done well, because I'm, <laughs> it's kind of. It doesn't have to be things he's done well, just anything that stood it's, out. <laughs> it, uh, um, just a big thing with me is that I, I had, you know, hope with Fox going down that he wouldn't, you know, fuck up this opportunity. And so far, it's like falling short of my expectations. Um, like his, I believe like the King's Herald was talking about this or uh, one of the writers from the King's Herald was talking about it, that his um, shooting stroke has improved um, a little bit. Um, but, and like him on defense is, his intensity on defense is good, but like, there it's more questions than answers at this point when it comes to him and like (laughs) he he scares me right now and uh, how did he start i'm trying to remember how he started last season like what didn't he have a slow start last season i'll be honest i don't remember off the top of my head do you remember joe probably but he was also coming off the bench still so it wasn't Mm -hmm. like he was still we always figured that was the you know acclimating to brown's rotations and you know um but i don't think it was i'll get to it the numbers when i talk but like the oh no get to it because now i number the numbers are not we're not as a whole weren't as glaring last season to what they are with these groups together 
Okay. It's just, I'm, of the things that terrify me, like Mitchell, <laughs> like the performance, like we, have, we definitely can't lose Fox, you know, for a long period of time. Cause I, I will like, I would rather deep throat a rattlesnake than have to go, Greg, you're fine. Stop putting your head in your hand. Okay. But yeah, it's just a sentence I didn't expect to hear on this podcast. <laughs> okay, you you should really expect the unexpected with me. But it it just it I I was just flabbergasted. Jill, you're up. Okay, so first I'll give you the lineups numbers from last season of when Mitchell was placed in, you know, with the starters, whether it be with Fox out or just him with the starters at some point during the season, right? There was a total of 266 minutes um, and 46 games. They appear, this lineup appeared together of Mitchell, Herter, Murray, Barnes, and Sabonis. They had an offensive rating of 123.2. Like you would take that, right? Like that's really good. Defense, 114.7. Not great, but right, their defense wasn't great last year. So remember that. This lineup together last year in 46 games with 266 minutes played was 123.2. In the three games, or no, sorry, the five games that that lineup has appeared together this season, five games, 58 minutes, 92.4 is your offensive rating. So 123 last year. 92.4 this year. You are not going to win any games when your starting lineup is 92.4. I don't care who you are. Like, that's not, that's not a winning combination. And your defensive rating is 108.3. So again, offense 92.4, defensive rating 108. So their defense got better. But their offense is, right, non-existent. And I would say I'm surprised their defense is even like that. I would have thought it would have been larger based on the last couple games. So, again, so that's that's ugly. And then you have the, right, like I guess you could say the third string lineup together. Um, right, without Fox. So you have Colby Jones, uh, McGee, Monk, Vizenkov, and Duarte, and they've played together two games, 14 minutes. They're 107.4 and 89.7. So again, that's Colby's stepping in and has been able to get that group somewhat playing, you know, well together. But again, in two games is 14 minutes. That's, you know, small sample size still in the reality of things. But I will say, to me, this, these numbers I'm going to show you shows how important Fox is when it comes to playing with the starters, but also when it comes to the staggering of him playing on the bench. So Fox with the starters this year, their offensive rating was 120.4 and 103.5. That is why you were 2-1. and one. In three games and 52 minutes, you had 120.4 offensive rating and a 103.5 defensive rating. That was the lineup that played the most out of any lineup last year together, right? In all of the NBA. And they jumped. Like, that is a jump, right? 
Last year, that lineup together, they were 118.3 and a defensive rating of 116. They got better on offense and defensive together, but we're not seeing it, right? That's just the reality of the situation. But to me, that gives me hope. Like, stay stay afloat, and if you can get that back, that puts you, that puts you top offense, top defense, right? Like, that's up there. So if you can sustain that. Now, Fox with the bench this season, in the three games he was there, that he was um, on the floor with McGee, Monk, Vizenkov, and Duarte, right? That's when we were like, Sasha's rolling. Like, this bench is good. <laughs> like, we have all these guys. In the three games in 22 minutes, they have an offensive rating of 137 and a defensive rating of 100. Again, that's why you were 2-1-1. and one. When you look at the numbers now, 92.4 and 108.3. Like, it's not rocket science of why you're losing. I mean, it's just that it's not working. The combinations are not working right now. Just, I mean, it's just, if you just look at the numbers, like it's pretty glaring and it matches what we're all seeing. My biggest thing, keep trying to stay afloat, right? Like, but I'm looking towards the hope of when you do get a Fox back because he's going to be back. This is, if, if you sustain what you started in the first three games, our tune is going to be changing. Like it's it's gonna it's gonna turn around. So my optimistic side is yes, it's ugly right now, but stay afloat till he gets back. And if you can replicate what you saw in the first three games, then the continuity we were talking about, we could see it. One other set of numbers on Davion that I'll throw out there, and these are from uh, Tim Maxwell, was that after last night's game. The Kings are outscoring opponents this season by 7.9 points per 100 possessions with Mitchell on the bench. The Kings are being outscored by 24.7 points per 100 possessions with him in the game. It's a net rating differential of 32.6. And with all of these numbers, of course, there is the caveat that it's all small sample size. Individual on-off numbers are all kind of a flawed stat in and of themselves anyway. Uh, but the numbers don't look good and they back up what we're seeing with the eye test as well is kind of the difficult part. I mean, Davion last night had a plus minus of minus 30 in a game that the Kings lost by 25. <laughs> like it was just ugly, ugly, ugly. And that brings me to my next question. So we know Fox will be out Wednesday for the Portland game. That has already been announced, and we don't know beyond that. The Kings after that will play on Friday in Oklahoma City, but you know when Fox comes back is still up in the air. Are we all on the same page that Mike Brown needs to make a switch and, and get Monk in that starting lineup instead of Davion, or would you ride it out as is and, and see if the team could figure it out? No, uh, switch it up. You, you've got to switch it up. Is it like... I, I'm... While watching these few games without Fox, of course, my mind goes to worst case scenario. Um, like if he, we bring him back too soon, Fox, like re-injuring the ankle, like judging by everything that's happened uh, during the games that he's been out, are we completely fucked? If he like he seriously hurts himself, we bring him back too soon. Um, but I do think that Brown does need to shake shake it up, and. Mitchell is not our guy at this point. Jill, 
Yeah. Um, knowing Brown, I really, last year he didn't really mix it up much, so I really don't know. But for me right now, because it's not working, Monk to me is the closest thing that you can replicate to Fox on offense just in terms of speed and pace. We went from fourth in pace, right, in those three games, fourth in pace to dead last. This team does not function like that. It just doesn't. And I know that has to do with defense and stops and things like that. But Fox was all, like, we weren't stopping everybody either, but Fox still will get the ball quick and flies down and gets things started. We're starting our offense at, like, 13 and 15 seconds left on the clock. And they're just starting to move after Sabonis is yelling at them to move. Like, that's not that's not us. And so if he makes that move, I can understand it. And to me, I don't, Monk, if he's not in foul trouble, he can handle those minutes. He can handle it. Like, he can handle getting the big time minutes until until Fox comes back. And I was a big supporter of not altering it. Like I I get Monk's role and why he's so important coming off the bench and that spark because we just don't have that another microwave player, you know, like that off the bench where it just gives you that that kickstart. Um but if you can stagger Monk and and Mitchell like you do Fox and and Mitchell, you know, then I do it. Even if you're starting Mitchell for the first three minutes, like and throw Monk in there or you have Monk in and you do what he did to Fox, where it's like within, you know, the first five minutes, he throws in Mitchell and, you know, gives Monk a little bit of rest so that he can then go back in with the bench. Right. Because that's what they do with Fox, that Fox can play with both lineups and you see, you know, you reap the rewards. If he does it, I get it. If he doesn't, I also get it. I mean, that's. But with as many changes as we've kind of heard him talk about this season, right, compared to last two of even messing, you know, mixing things up in preseason and things like that, maybe he will do it. This is year two, not year one. Like at some point, I I would get it either way, but I'm almost at the point too where it's just like it's it's hard to watch. And if I'd rather see Monk in there and it fail and then be like, okay, that's why. Then just keep seeing the same thing fail this season compared to last in this situation. I know because, again, we'll want to pull, right? Because it worked last year, but it's not this year and this is a new year. So if you got to do it, you got to do it. Go ahead, DJ. Oh, I was I want to know Jill's opinion on what if the worst case scenario happens? What if we lose Fox for a little bit longer? I'm going on the like the you know, the negative side. This is what we deal with with our fan base and like our kings. So I I kind of want to know, I want to know what your vision is uh, if the worst does happen and he's going to be out for a little bit longer by re-injuring his ankle. Yeah, I wouldn't want, I don't want him to to feel forced to come back um, early at all. And that was kind of my fear is that he would kind of see what happened in Houston and and force it back. So I'm happy that that's not happening. Um, and I'm still looking long term. I don't want him like as much as I want to win. I still don't want him to rush back because it's still, we're seven percent into the season. Like it's a long, it's a long season, and I'd rather have him out for two more weeks and play the rest of the year than risk coming back too early. And then it's just a nagging thing, you know, for good. But I also think that. Even if he is out this week, 
to me, I think he's back next week. Like, I, I think that um, just based on what I know, I don't think there's any setbacks or anything like that. It's, I think there's also a part of they don't want to rush it back if they don't have to either. Like, let it heal. If there's any kind of uncomfort or pain, like, let it go. Like, we should be good enough to stay afloat, right? Like, you... And it's not like you had three bad games. One, you were one, one point, you know, one last second shot away from, from being one and two right now with, with the win against the Warriors. So, um, I think it's way too early to, uh, to panic. I know as fans, like it's, you know, we get that way. We and during to me, season, you know, yeah. <laughs> knowing, knowing how Fox is to me, him not coming back shows me that they're not panicking. That that tells me that the morale is still there and there's no panic because knowing Fox, if he felt that he'd be back, he'd be back. He would have been back. That's, to that's just unusual for me. Us not panicking is unusual for me. And I don't know how to feel about it. Like our fan base. not. Well, I've already seen based on like reactions that I've seen on Twitter. And we all know this. Our, our fan base is very passionate and we tend to. Um, lose our fucking shit over shit, and I'm I'm seeing that with you know some of the darker sides of King's Twitter. Um, but like, is it just me that? But when I get a positive feeling about something, uh, like especially looking at the schedule and looking at Fox's injury, um, it feels wrong to feel positive. Is that is just that where we are as a fan base? I don't know, but that's what. My mind just went there just now. I don't know why it was very random. I mean, we've had the football pulled out from in front of us so many times over the years. I mean, we're we're still a you fan base that went it? through a huge drought. You know, it's the longest in NBA history. Like, yeah, we're going to be a little jaded and a little bit defensive and kind of protecting ourselves. I was around right? like, when the Kings didn't win a whole season yeah. on the road. Like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. again, like these are. I said that last year too. Like you know, this is this is nothing. Now, a couple of things I do want to ask because I mean, Jill, you mentioned that Warriors game without Fox. They looked a whole lot better. It was really those two Houston games where they looked like absolute garbage. Do and we think that Houston? Houston I was going right? to say, do we think Houston might just be better and we're stuck in the mindset of their last year's Rockets? Like to me, Houston is playing like we played last year. They're playing like they don't want to be the punching bag of the NBA and they have something to prove. And there's players on here, right, that, yes, they got paid, but they feel like they have something to prove, you know, based on how people talked about them, you know, over the summer and at the end of last year. Fred Van Fleet heard it plenty in Toronto, right? And as he passed, you know, where where he was with that team and um, you know, how it first started up, you know, the vibes are different when they first came in, even, you know, the production isn't necessarily them for this year. So I think Fred has something to prove, right? Like, and it's a whole new team and taking it over. And can you be that guy that, that changes that team around? Dylan Brooks has a lot, uh, you know, a huge chip on his shoulder that, and his win share right now on Houston compared to what it was for Memphis, completely different. Like he's playing inspired. Like, yes, he's still doing his, you know, little dirty stuff, you know. But when he plays without that, he's a plus player on on your court. And he's not checking up shots. 
like he was in Memphis. He's being smart with it. So I think there's two factors on the Houston side. I mean, one, you know, despite the issues that got him fired in Boston, obviously Imadoka is a, a really good coach. That whatever else you believe about him or feel about him, correct? He's a really good basketball coach. And the other thing I just want to say on record is that uh, I am selling high on any Dylan Brooks stock, if anyone has it, because I don't think that this sustains. Uh, And to anyone feeling like we missed out by not chasing him, I mean, one, realistically, we weren't going to get him because he got way overpaid in Houston. And two, I'd rather lose every game than root for Dylan Brooks personally, but that's just me. You know, and if he does, kudos to him, then he proved just about everybody wrong. Because even a lot of the Houston fans were like, yes, no, like, you know, we're iffy on it. But they also are doing this without their best rookie right now, too, who was playing really well and then had an ankle injury. So they still have more pieces coming back that, that we haven't seen. But I do think it's a really good mix of vets and young and young players. And you can see these guys buying in to what, what email selling and what these vets are selling like they've they've bought in and um i know how it is like and hearing from plenty of their fans yesterday that you know there are plenty i talked to last year that were happy for us you know because again they were another team on the bottom but they also know how long it's been for us and seeing their comments yesterday like we have not seen this team play like this in you know five years you know if not more like that it's that was the best that was the best they've seen their team play in years. So perspective too, that, you know, they've had a decent start to the year. I think they're right around us, but that was by far the best they had played in two games of basketball. So you're welcome, I guess. Um, sucks that came against us, but you know, I do think that they're, you know, they're buying in and by seeing these kinds of rewards that gets guys to buy in even more, but I do think it's very much the, you know, we don't want to be the laughing stock anymore and we're trying to turn this around. I know, but it's always so fun to think of Houston as a laughing stock. I don't know, coming from when I uh, covered the Mavericks, it was always Houston, their head was on the chopping block and to see them actually, you know, do well is is a little bit heart shattering because I like them being the butt of the NBA jokes and it like to see them, you know, basically steamroll over us for two games in a row. Just it hurt like a lot. And that's, and that's coming from someone who, you know, I'm not a Mavericks fan, Greg. Um, but Houston just has been the butt of every joke and it, you know, makes me sad to see them actually doing well. Yeah, I said it. I'm sure there's a lot of people that felt that way about us last year, including most of the national media. So one of the things I wanted to ask about, you know, kind of with some of the recent struggles, and, and this actually goes back even to before Fox went out, is what do you make of the Kings shooting woes? Because, I mean, as a whole, the Kings right now are shooting 32.9% from three on the season. They're like best three point shooting out of the regular rotation guys is actually Harrison Barnes, which it does not feel that way at all, but he's at 46.4% for the year. Uh, but I mean, you've got like Keegan Murray's at 26%, uh, Herder's at 24%, uh, Vesenkov's at 27%, Davion at 30%. Like guys that 
you know, especially like Keegan and Herter, guys who we know are good shooters, have really been in the slump to start. How much of that did we attribute to, you know, them being thrown off and kind of in their heads? Is it that, you know, with Fox out, the defense isn't rolling and they're not getting the same looks? Like, kind of, what do you attribute the early shooting woes to? Well, I think it was Will Z that pulled up a stat saying that they were third. I'm not sure after these two games, but I think it was after the first Houston game, I want to say, that they were third in the league in wide open three-point shot attempts. But I think maybe 27th or something in actual percentage. But again, this is what stands out with the Fox numbers to me. When Fox was here, their offensive rating was still 120, even with those shooting woes. Like, that's, I mean, how crazy is that, though, right? Like, in those struggles during that, we also had a good Keegan Murray half of a game, right? Like, where he had 17 or 18, I think, in the second half of a game where he came back. To me, like, they're getting the good looks. They're just not hitting them. But I also feel like they're not coming off the screens as clean. And to me, Keegan is moving his body much more in the shots. He's kind of like floating away. Um, And sometimes it's back, sometimes it's left, and sometimes it's right. But even when he floats, he's still not straight on. Like he's still moving. And if your hips or anything like are moving and you're shooting straight on, like it's it's going to go right or le- like right or left. It's not going to go um, straight. And he's not missing by much because, right, there were I feel like there were plenty of ones where it did the circle, you know, or dropped in and then just popped out like, you know, a ghost is in there smacking it out like no. Um, so, I mean, I don't I contribute it to the movement of the shooting, right, of not just being set. And I feel like there is time to get set and it's just things are moving quickly and it's just not happening. And again, I think that can be watching film and just working on it. Like that's it's game seven. He had struggles last year and, you know, figured it out. Um, But I also think it's more glaring because Fox is out and he's asking to do way more than he ever, you know, you, you come in wanting him to solidify that three spot. Now you're asking him to be a one or two for a second year guy. That's a big ask and guard the number one on defense like it's and, you know, add in all these other offensive, you know, um, weapons. I would like to see him shoot a little bit more from the mid and take it to the basket. I do think that might help, you know, again, we're always like shooters, see some go in the basket and that can, you know, solidify some things. And I feel like that's what he did in that 18 point half that he had. Um, it wasn't just checking threes like he got to the basket. He hit some uh, fadeaway like mids like there was other things going on. So I want to see more of that. Um, I want to see Herder like get in the paint more. Right. Like first he looked a little bit better from three last game. Um, but I still think that he can be better from from two. But I also know, you know, rewatching that game back yesterday. I know we're all yelling, go to the paint and, you know, do all, you know, Sabonis should be shooting all these things. Rewatching it, every possession, Houston had two or three guys that literally did not move and just sat in the paint. It was like, we're not moving. There was one where Sasha cut all the way to the corner and Fred Van Fleet did not look at him once in the corner. He stood next to Sabonis in the double team. Barnes ended up getting an open three-point shot. 
But but Sasha was wide open in the corner and not one Houston defender looked at him once. Like there was just like, we don't care. We're going to make you shoot out of it. And we're not leaving this paint. Like we could have called three seconds on you, but we did it. Um, but it was just there. It was almost every possession that there were just two to three players just swarming. And every time Sabonis got the ball, two to three swarmed forced him to to pass it out to an open shooter who missed their shots. And I get why Emi did it. It was like, okay, you hit these, you know, last year, but you're not hitting them now. So I'm going to force you to do that. Um, and in the times that the Kings got into their offense quickly is when Sabonis was able to actually get into the paint and get those ones. All his turnovers were him trying to play through the double and triple teams, which I don't want him to do. So I get it. I want him to have more, you know, field goal attempts and all that. But I also don't want him turning the ball over because he go he's going against double and triple teams. Like, that's just not his game either. Will also had a, a glaring stat of, of um, touches in the paint. They're forcing Sabonis, like, to get out of the paint. I think it was, like, 18 touches where the first three games you're at 29 and 30 touches of the paint. And a lot of that has to do with Fox, right, getting in. And then the ball's moving in to then get out and people are moving, that's not happening. Um, so I just, I don't know. It's just the offense doesn't look right, but the shootings doesn't look right either. And so, I mean, I know they all kind of correlate together, um, and it's all just off. But again, I'm hoping game seven, it's, you know, they're working through it today. They're at home. Um, looking at that tape, I hope it's like, holy shit, like, that was horrible. I'm embarrassed. Like, that's not us. Um, Because it's not them, right? Like, it's, I refuse to believe that is them, especially after the first three games. I know Fox is big, but he's not making guys actually run their plays and cut and move and do all this. Like, that's on the players. And at some point, they're going to have to, you know, take it upon themselves to be the professionals and and execute what is being asked. But isn't that a little scary because that he's when he's healthy and out there with them, he's leading the team and like they don't look like lost little blind puppies when Fox is out there. And it it is just it it scares me. They have a pep in their step. It's almost like they're just standing there. We can replace them with cardboard cutouts and we'd still get more action in scares me it still it blew my mind watching it like having houston just stare at him and like they didn't care they did not move it was like we'll see four people at the corner of the key and like have fun it's like fucking a a cardboard cutout of my like left ass cheek would have done more than they did shut up greg i see your face (laughs) i i do just want to point out that I mean, I think most Kings fans who survived through the the awful drought are masochists on a certain level. But Jill went back and rewatched the Houston game. Like that is a whole different level of well, no, loving I pain. Saw, yeah, well, I saw a lot of the complaints, and so I like I wanted to go. I wanted to rewatch, and after myself being frustrated, and my parents were in town, and so I was watching with my dad, and then we were talking, and we were frustrated. I was like, I want to go back and actually like see this. Torture yourself um, a little bit more. And I had a conversation with someone else and we both noticed the same play 
that that Sabonis actually was like yelling at them to move. So it was like, okay, I'm not the only one that noticed this. Like there was there was someone else that glaringly noticed the same thing. Um, so I wanted to go back and look, and that was in the first quarter, the first quarter, like this was going on, and so. Um, Jill, it's not yeah. a criticism. I didn't re the whole thing. No, but, nothing is that. but it's like, if we're going to criticize them, like at least let's, you know, give everybody their criticism and, and do it, you know, well. <laughs> the Kings need to hire Jill like right now. Like, seriously, you're you're the only one, like the biggest masochist of us all. And going over the tape and just like, fuck this. This is what needs to happen. And I'm constantly impressed year after year. It could be like, seriously, I do not know how you do it. And I respect you for it. But dear God, please. But see, I've learned to let it not, to not make me upset too. Like I said, like I've seen so much worse that it's like, all right, like, let's figure this out. Let's figure it out. <laughs> can't do that. And that's why I'm just like, all right, like, seriously, get your number. They, like the King's front office needs to get your number and have you on fucking speed dial. One other thing that, you know, we, we've kind of touched on a, a little bit that I didn't want to make sure we spend some time on it as what I think is a, a bit of a positive development this season, you know, even through the, the rough start is what we're seeing from Keegan Murray, you know, that. It, and I'm going to throw out some numbers again from our friend Tim Maxwell, but these are from before yesterday's game. That's right, TJ. I said our friend Tim Maxwell. I included you against your will on that. So this is before the Monday game, but that Keegan Murray was leading the Kings in defensive field goal percentage differential, meaning that you know when you look at how a player scores versus their average, Keegan... The people Keegan was guarding were shooting 42.1% from the floor, 6.1% worse than their average. And that included limiting people to 42.3% at the rim, 16.2% worse than their average. I mean, we've talked a lot about Keegan opening up his offensive game, creating more off the dribble, you know, the different things that they're asking him to do and, yeah, there's been some mixed results, but we have been seeing a lot of really good things offensively as far as what Keegan's at least trying to do. But I think it's also worth noting the growth on defense because, frankly, I did not see that coming. Oh, it's awesome. And, that, and, that, and again, like this is year two. And so that's one thing I don't want to get lost in all of this because everybody wanted Keegan to just, you know, make the huge jump and be the third star and. You know, it didn't help with the team's own messaging of how they were talking about him and all that. You know, and even after Summer League, I was in some spaces and people were asking, and I was just like, let him be year two. Like, I wanted as much as that, but like, also let's realize it's year two. And if it happens at a different pace or we see certain jumps in certain things and regressions in other, or, you know, it's kind of roller coaster, let him be like it's it doesn't have to be a oh now it's a failure right or oh now this means he's quiet like it's um one thing i think was good for him last year is he didn't have to be that savior and that was huge for a rookie in a king's jersey to not have to be the savior and that's kind of what scares me right now 
as he's kind of being put in that position to be the savior in year two. And I I get it. He's getting paid. He's a pro player. But I also think that's not very fair to expect from a year two player either with these kinds of expectations. Can he do it? I absolutely think he can. You know, it's but I also think there's going to be some ebbs and flows of of certain things. But I love that it's not all bad, right? Like you're seeing good things and you're seeing the the improvement even in his short game compared to just, you know, being the three ball shooter. Like we're we're seeing new moves from him. We're seeing a defense that I did not know he could do, honestly. Like I, I think all of us are kind of in that boat. And so um, I think the shooting will get there because that's to me, that's like the one thing I'm not worried about with him, you know, of, out of anything is he'll be fine. Um, but I also think he has to get used to being asked to do all these things and, and that'll get there. But to me, I love that, that Brown has the faith in that too. I mean, I think that shows that's got to show Keegan a lot of faith as well. Like, right. That this guy believes in me that much. Um, but I also think you can ask more from other players that might be able to help this kid out in year two, right? Hello, Barnes. Like, I think there's other things that players can do that would help this kid out in his year two and not um, have everything on his shoulders with Fox out. I don't know. I did make the joke the other day in our Slack that I appreciate that Fox's injury has given Keegan the opportunity to have the quintessential Kings young player experience of being put in too big of a role and too big of expectations before they're ready for it. Like, you know, that's something he didn't really get as a rookie. And that's an important rite of passage for any Kings rookie. Right. So I, I think even it's even Keon, yeah. right after last game, like I loved that <laughs> Keon was in there and played well, but in a in a perfect Kings game, he Keon's not getting put in unless they're doing right. They're blowing out somebody else, right? Like he only played because we went through everybody else and it wasn't working and kudos to Keon that it worked, but I'm already seeing tweets of Keon should be, you know, your Barnes replacement. And so we're back to those end of the bench being the savior guys. Cause Fox is out and <laughs> people aren't playing well. So what you said that made me laugh because I saw that like, oh, well, let's, you know, it's Keon's job now. <laughs> and I love Keon, but like, let, you know, come on, guys. <laughs> TJ, did you have anything to add on on Keegan and or, or Keon else for that matter or, or any other young player you want to annoy as the next savior of the Kings? Really? Savior of the Kings? Okay. Um. When it comes to Keegan, like his, I, I've been impressed by his defensive hustle and that that's what I was so concerned about last season was our defensive game. And I know that it, everyone was talking about how we're all flash on offense, um, but seeing his defensive hustle in these past couple games, I, it, it gives me a little bit of hope. Um, my, the, per, the player I've been watching like closely, oddly enough, has been, uh, Javel and like, it's everyone. Cause it j- just basically by the full circle that's come, he, he, he's been called a polarizing figure and I never thought he was a polarizing figure until he came, you know, here to Sacramento where, you know, 
he has a history. He has a lineage of that thing. But I honestly, I, I've never been a huge fan of him. But I think that, like, he's been the one that is showing out to me, like, with, like, I think it's, like, 63% shooting um, so far and, like, showing, you know, a solid interior defense. Um, He's impressed me. And... Like I, that's never happened at all. Like all the time I've been watching him, especially when he was on the Mavericks. Um, He's impressed me. Like, I'm very curious on your thoughts, Jill, when it comes to McGee with, with these specific Kings right now. I agree. I mean, like, I don't even want to go back to the Fox numbers, but like that's to me, that showed exactly what the, you know, the thinking, thanks, Gracie, of this team was that with Fox, it was an offensive rating of 137 and a defensive rating of 100. Like having that, you know, kind of player with him, um, you know, where Fox and Monk can work off of them, like it, it's a good uh, balance, I guess you can say. Now, I do want Trey Lyles back because I think it'll work even better when you can mix Trey Lyles in the small ball five and then throw in McGee and, you know, do those mismatches and things like that. I'm still not sure of them together. I know we saw that a lot um, in the preseason, but I also think that was them just wanting to see, you know, if it worked and how it looked, et cetera. But to me, having Trey back even will to make, to me, make the McGee situation even better. Cause to me, it keeps him fresh for the rest of the year as well. Like you're not, constantly putting a lot of minutes on him since he's a little bit older but it's it's everything I would want to see my only downfall is because our shooting is so bad I think he's almost forcing some things up where I don't think he would necessarily be shooting as many field goal attempts you know the the jump hooks and things like that if if other things aren't working but I really don't have any complaints to me like about them outside that, but I almost put that more on other people rather than necessarily him. Cause there are times where he's throwing it up at the end of a shot clock um, on a prayer. And, uh, but I, I like to see, um, I'm enjoying the the combination of him and Monk together. You are seeing um, that. And there are ones where I'm like, what's Monk doing? And then McGee comes out of nowhere and like somehow uh, throws it down. So Yes, it's nine day, I think, from what he looked like with Dallas. And I can see the the vision that they had with him here. Um, and again, at a full a full uh, roster, um, it was working. And even in the Golden State game, right? Like, it was working, you know? Um, so, just, yeah, keep it going. But I've been pleasant, pleasantly surprised um, that that it that it's worked yeah I, I definitely don't think javel has been anywhere near the biggest issues for the kinks this season um no so wrap- but it's wild to me that 14 minute lineup that i said of having jones right run the point with duarte vizenkov monk and mcgee their defensive rating was 89.7 and that's with people saying Vizenkov would never, you know, defend Monk is Monk. 
Jones is a rookie, Duarte, right? Like we're, you know, our, you know, thought was that, you know, he's a good defender. Like he's shown that in the league. Me, 89.7 is ridiculous. Even if it's just 14 minutes. Like that's, um, that's crazy. Kudos to that lineup, you know, coming out of nowhere. Cause I don't think anyone was expecting Jones to get in like, you know, this early in this kind of situation. So, but I do think that shows the, production of McGee that he's able to kind of be that anchor of a lineup that has never, you know, outside of preseason, never seen minutes together and held it afloat. So I've got one final question I'm going to ask, but before I do that, is there any topics we haven't touched on we want to make sure we get to? I think we've covered pretty much everything. All right. So moving on to final question. This actually comes from the comments of our first episode. Our friend Costa asked, who wins in a three-on-three half-court game between the three of us and the three hosts of the other show, the other King's Herald podcast? So Will, Tony, and Jerry Reynolds. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I can shoot, but we're lacking in the height. We're both like, we're both 5'2", five 5'3". Five oh, yes. Yeah. Like, isn't Greg like... You know, four nine. I'm six one. Okay, shut up. <laughs> but what I what I lack in height, you know, I I had to be a good shooter, right? I mean, think about that. I was a I was a point guard in high school, and then they turned me into a small forward at five three because I could shoot. They so. they said, "Can Jill play small forward?" <laughs> Ooh, put me I can do it. <laughs> let's, let's put me at the five. Let's just see how it goes with that. Or, or hey, I broke free throw records my freshman year too. Like I can shoot free throws. Okay, Jill. <laughs> let's let's the, the people who played soccer here. Okay, I'm not going there. I could be drunk on the court and distract people. So I think that is where my specialty is. And I could also kick ankles and get away with stuff under the radar. TJ short enough that everything she does is under the radar. So <laughs> I do think that we would likely lose because as far as I know, Tony is the only one possibly on the entire Kings Herald staff that regularly plays pickup basketball still. Okay, no, Jill did it in the past. Jill was saying that she No, I'm saying still play. to this day regularly. You plays. think currently. <laughs> Jill lie and say that you do. And I'm in the gym every weekend. There we go. And I'm just throwing it out there. I bet Jerry Reynolds would kill us with fundamentals. I bet that man throws a mean basketball. Oh, I was 100%. Yeah, there's no doubt there. All right. So that's going to wrap us up for this episode of Living the Beam. Uh, So, again, I'm Greg Wissinger, managing editor of the editor of the King's Herald. You can find us at kingsherald.com. We are a fully independent website, so you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kingsherald. Uh, you can also just you know comment on articles and visit the site and participate and let us know what you like, what you don't like. If you have additional odd questions you want us to answer, we're happy to take them. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I will never call it X. I am at GWiz. Uh, Jill, where can the folks find you? They can find me on Twitter at Jill Edge. And TJ, do you want to take a, a crack at getting your name correct this week? Okay. They can find me under a boulder somewhere passed out. And I am at whatever, Tailored Siren 
I got my name right this time and I just spilled on me. Whatever. You have to forgive her because she's had multiple accounts <laughs> taken away. Uh, and, okay. But right, you, your accounts would survive yeah. in, in new Twitter. Like you wouldn't have lost any of them. It really. Exactly. But <laughs> I'm not sure I'd be bragging about that. I've never threatened to murder anybody and got suspended from Twitter. Maybe I have. All right. Bye. <laughs> Thanks the, for tuning the in. With, the Kirby with the knife is still is still the best. Oh, I know my bosses are listening to this right now. <laughs> but no, I'm going to the game tomorrow, so let's hope for a turnaround. This this podcast will be back in two weeks. We have this set up on an alternating schedule with the King's Herald show so that every week you have a new podcast in your feed. Uh, so you know, if you're not already following, you can follow us on any of the streaming platforms, you know, Apple, Spotify. Uh, any of the others that people use. So give us a follow, leave us a comment, let us know how we're doing. And until next week, go Kings. Go Kings.